you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waits, the Fearless Business Coach. I have got fantastic guest uh, on the podcast this morning. It's Sarah Townsend, the author of the number one best-selling book, uh, Survival Skills for Freelancers. And I've just learned as well that Sarah's just been quoted in Forbes, uh, which is not only on her bucket list, it's also on my bucket list as well. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks, Robin. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So we're going to dig into on, on this episode. Obviously, we're going to learn a little bit about the book. We're going to learn about your freelancing um, uh, background and history as well. We'll get to know Sarah. But I actually want to start off with copywriting, if that's OK, because this is something which not a lot of people kind of um, know or can distinguish between the different types of copywriting. They think it's just writing words. But I know mm. advertising copy uh, and you you do copywriting for blogs and websites and all sorts of, you know, books and things like that. Marketing copy, so yeah. What, in your opinion, how do you distinguish the different types of kind of copywriting that are out, out there? I, I, I don't really. Um, I, I just do the copywriting I do and, and clients come to me and say, oh, I didn't realise you could write a press release for me. I didn't realise you could write my website. I didn't realise you could write company profiles and tone of voice guidelines and all this kind of thing. So I tend not to put that much of uh, a, a limit on it, I think. Once I'm working with a client, I like to build up an ongoing relationship with them. Um, so rather than having kind of a transactional relationship where I might be hired to to write a particular piece of marketing for them, I will actually uh, basically kind of follow up with that first piece of work by saying, well, did you realize I can also do this for you? Um, and, and kind of continue that working relationship because ultimately to write anything well about a client, you have to get under the skin of the business. And once you've invested the time and the effort in doing that, you have the information that you can then kind of use to nail their overall marketing message and then that marketing message can be put out and should be put out across all the channels and platforms and um, it should be consistent across everywhere their clients and potential clients can see them so yeah ad copy is a slightly different thing I have done ads it's not something I do a lot of and there's always this kind of perennial debate over what is content and what is copy it's it's not something that I really get involved in that debate because I think it's um, it's a fine line between the two really and a lot of the things that I write could be considered content quite easily. So yeah, that does that help? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people kind of make the, the common mistake is that they, they think that copywriting is just like, well, let's just write some words on our website and that that's good enough. But actually one of the yeah. biggest mistakes I see people making is not measuring the difference that the copy actually makes on their, their website or um, you know, blog or social media, for example. So they just put these words out and then hope that yeah. somehow magically clients are going to show up. Yeah, yeah. What other mistakes do you tend to see? Well, I think that's a really good point, actually, that you've just mentioned, because a lot of people will say, you know, we we can all write. And I think this is where copywriters come up 
across a bigger hurdle than most professions because we can't all dentist or program or graphic design but we we can all write but I think writing copy in fact I know writing copy is a very different specific skill to just writing so if you're writing a lot of us kind of associate oh you know I had to write an essay at at school and then you were kind of told um, that you had uh, 3,000 words to write or whatever so we all lose the ability to be concise and the thing about writing for the web specifically is that you only have something hideous like seven seconds to grasp your client's attention and uh, and that is a, a distinct skill in itself so being able to write concisely and not worrying about um thinking that you're trying to make yourself sound clever by using big words and sounding impressive using business speak that only uh, a very small minority of people will be able to understand it's actually a lot better particularly when you're writing for the web to be really concise and to think about the pains that you're solving for your clients to come in with the kind of empathy that shows that you understand where where they are and where they want to be and how your product or service will bridge the gap between those two places. It's really interesting because I um I had learned a very valuable lesson with Take Your Shot because um I kind of kind of wrote it in a bit of a hurry and then uh, sent it out to my beta readers. But one of the things I didn't actually do was read it back myself. And by that I mean I read it out loud. So when I was going yes, through and recording yeah, yeah. the audiobook, all of a sudden I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I think again doing that sort of um that that checking process as well, like after you've actually written some words down, because it's one of those things, I don't know about you, but the moment I see a a typo, a a full stop in the wrong place or something, you know, grammatical error or just words in the wrong place, I kind of lose interest. I start to kind of get a bit switched off by it and I find Mm. it really clunky to read a book. Yes. Yeah. Clunkiness is a really big thing, actually. And I think a lot of people don't realise it's it's when you say have a sentence that has 20 words in and you can actually say the same thing in just six or seven words. So when you've I mean, kind of as a specific tip for any of your um, viewers or listeners, when you've written something, whatever it is, as Robin says, it's really helpful to read it back out loud. You can actually if you're using Word, you can go into the review tool and you can get your computer to read it out to you so actually did you not know that no I didn't know um, that wow tip um so there's something about listening to your words being read out in in a monotonous think Siri or Alexa those voices that are very robotic that it'll make you notice mistakes that you've made it'll make you notice duplicated words and clunky phrases and things that just don't work so I would strongly recommend doing that but then go back and and just take out the meaningless words like that and very and really and things like that that don't actually add to the meaning of your sentence um yeah I could kind of I could spend hours talking about this kind of stuff (laughs) well I I could I mean I've learned something already that's brilliant I I always um have words which which pop up so like and actually they're my two nemesis at the moment with any kind of like speaking or writing well I don't tend to write them in there and tends to be when I'm when I'm speaking so um, but of course I get a lot of my stuff transcribed and then kind of regurgitate it into the books as well that's a really important point actually if you are using rev.com or or any sort of app that is transcribing your material don't put it out as it is because the way we speak I mean I'm super super 
economical with my words when I'm writing. So there's, I never use one more word than I need to. Whereas when I speak, the kind of excitement and enthusiasm take over and I'm wordy and I'm all over the place. So yeah, I, I have to be very careful when I'm transcribing. As, as kind of um, busy coaches, consultants and freelancers, like there's probably listened to, a lot of people listening to this thinking, gosh, I probably need to go back through some of my copy and kind of go through some of the, what we've just talked about there, yeah. but they don't feel they necessarily have time to. And I guess this is where it's start, we can start to cross over into talking about your book here. Because it's like big challenges, which a lot of freelancers face is they're kind of doing absolutely everything themselves. And it's like, yeah. oh gosh, not another task to proofread my own content. Mm-hmm. Like what tips do you have for people in that respect? That is such an important one because one of the things that was a big learning point for me in my career. So I've been 20 years freelance. Well, this is my 21st year as a freelance marketing copywriter. And for the first uh, 12, 15 years, I did do everything myself. And the number of times that I was completely overwhelmed, I was stressed up to the eyeballs, approaching burnout and, um, and, and just couldn't cope with that feeling that I had to do everything myself. So we all think we have to be our own accountant, do our own admin, um, be our own life coach. Um, yeah, all this kind of thing. I mean, proofreading, I now use a design designer to do my own graphic design, which is what I should have done from the word go. And that includes the basic things that we all have to put out there, such as proposal documents and anything that kind of makes you stand out. If you think you are perhaps pitching to a potential new client and they're talking to three other businesses, if all those other businesses supply their proposal in a word doc and you've paid somebody to create a template that makes your business look real standout and professional and impressive, you are going to have the edge over the competition. So when you realize that you can actually and should use your budgets to basically hire other people who are specialists at the things that you don't enjoy doing, you're not good at, and which don't make you money, that for me is the secret to freelance success because that frees you up time and headspace to focus on the stuff that you love doing and that you're good at and which makes you money. And ultimately, those are the reasons that we go freelance in the first place. We don't go freelance for all the peripheral business end behind it. Um, Yeah, so that is there's a whole chapter about that in the book, actually, because that's something that I believe a lot of freelancers struggle with. Absolutely. It's interesting what you said about proposals there. I know this is probably changing tack actually slightly. I will come back to burnout in a second because I'm interested to talk about that too. But talk about kind of proposal writing. Um, do you do you find that a lot of freelancers tend to kind of hide behind proposals rather than actually kind of tackling? Mm. So, because one of the things we talk in, talk in or teach in Fearless Business, for example, is that actually you, you want to deal with all, I said actually there, look, you're going to have to edit that one out, um, that you know, when you when you have that initial sales conversation with somebody and they say, oh, can you send me a proposal? It's normally done like in a very automatic way because that's how mm. they think the business is done. Mm. And what I found is that if you send proposals out, quite often the client or prospect has more questions, which you can't have answered in a proposal because you should have talked about it when you had the initial conversation. So true. Yeah. So we we normally kind of recommend that, you know, by all means send the proposal out, but make sure you dealt with all the objections and concerns first. Mm-hmm. You've got to that point of like, could you close on that call? And also like the the beauty parade thing as well. If you're being compared to two other people, make sure you're the last one. 
because then oh yeah because yeah. then I'm seeing recency it's psychological tactics isn't it people remember the first and the last but not yeah, the ones well, that come in the middle first and the last but at that point that person's now got they've seen all three people they've got all of the information they need mm. so with you being the last you can help them to make the right decision mm. it may be they turn around and go well actually you know this guy's better than me or girl's better than me so go for them so you can you can really kind of make a help them make an informed and educated decision yeah I like that tactic and more often than not if you're last you don't need to submit a proposal Right, because, because they've already got the two other proposals, and you can say, "Okay, well, what questions have you got for me?" Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I I always make sure that I, when I send my proposals across, that I say, "Look, if you have any questions on the back of this that we didn't address in our initial call, um, then let's talk and let's, um, you know, I usually kind of send people my Calendly link and get them to book a ten minute call, and we'll just follow up and answer any questions." But I think for me, proposals, I, I absolutely love doing them and they're the one thing that I can't you do them then? <laughs> they're the one thing that I can't outsource because all the stuff's in my head so I love the call I absolutely love the discovery call when I get a, a, a little notification pings up that somebody I don't know has found me and I ask I always have this as one of my prompt questions when people book a calendar call how did you find me and what do you want to talk about what's your existing website and um, yeah having a call with somebody and I've heard people call it a chemistry call I call it a discovery call but I I quite like chemistry call because for me that is when I decide whether I feel that they're the right fit for me so those calls are not just for the potential client to to decide whether they want to work with me it's it's it works both ways oh 100% do you do you think there's a um I see a lot of freelancers who kind of take on work for the sake of taking on work and then oh, yeah. they at the end of it they get really like frustrated and go why is this client such a dick I'm so <laughs> and it's like it's yeah. because you didn't like uh, you know assess and qualify them properly in the first place and work out whether it was a good fit all you're yeah. interested in was taking yeah. the money yeah and this is a, this is another thing there's this is another chapter in the book because I think it's really important to trust your instinct and to learn when a client is a good fit but also to trust the fact that it is okay to say no because you're never going to fit with everybody if you think about you know don't worry about other people not liking you I am shocking at this can I just say I I can't I can't nail this but this is the advice don't worry about other people not liking you because if you think about it you don't like everybody you know you don't kind of there are people that kind of annoy you and you're not quite sure why or um, wind you up or whatever so it's okay that not everybody is going to not everybody's going to want to work with you I I tend to be quite um I'm quite direct and quite outspoken so I always say to my clients really up front one of the first things I say is look if you're looking to work with someone who's going to agree with everything that you say I'm not that person I want to work with people who are open to me sort of saying okay so this is what you think you need or this is what you want, but here's what you actually need. So this is your problem, the solution's over here, and this is a better way of getting you to the solution. So, yeah, I think I've lost track a little bit. <laughs> well, I've got a little anecdote to kind of fill in, fill in the gap there, which kind of backs up. And this is, goes back to my agency days when somebody came to me and said, oh, I, I want you to build me a website. So, of course, we do the initial fact find. And um, I started talking to a guy. This is towards the end of my agency days, actually, before I set up the coaching practice for this, this exact reason. And uh, the guy wanted to, he, he, he was coming up to retirement, wanted to double the size of his turnover in, t- in a couple of years and, and sell the business, basically, as a local mechanics. I'm not going to name 
them, obviously, it wouldn't be fair. But um, and uh, so I started going into, well, do you know um, how much is the average client worth to you? Um, how many clients do you get at the moment? This, that, and the other. And it's like, in order to grow his business to that size within two years, he had to, he had to have five times the number of clients enrolling, wow. like, coming into his garage each month and doing things like, you know, they, they would, you know, um, typical mechanics, MOTs, exhaust, tires, that sort of thing, and upsell servicing and various other things like that. And, and then I got back, his, his response was, and I, I was doing whiteboards and not talking numbers, and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, uh, talking about, it's not just about the website. No, 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 Rob, Rob, you missed the point. I just want a website. That's the answer I got back. And I was like, but a website isn't going to double your turnover. We need mm-hmm. to understand like how you're getting clients. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he was just, insistent so I gave him a copy of online business startup and I said I think the meeting's done I said you can use that book as a coaster if you want to I don't give a shit but we're not going to work together if that if you think that a website is going to solve all your problems yeah. and actually I, it was one of my proudest moments because I kind of felt like very empowered and I knew that yes, like, it is so empowering at that point I'm taking on clients for the right reasons Yes, exactly. And uh, and I think when you have that call, if you get that, for me, the, the trigger is I, I get a goosebumps moment. And if I get a goosebumps moment when the client is talking about why they do what they do and what the kind of bigger purpose is behind um, behind profit. And, and then I think, okay, so if I get those goosebumps moments, those are the clients that I want to work with. Yeah. And, and it is empowering because you realize that we go self-employed because we want to be our own boss, right? But if you're just saying yes to everybody, to every project, every client, with without kind of applying any form of um you're not you're not kind of as you say you're not qualifying those clients as being the right fit for you then you're basically just empowering those clients to be just a load of mini bosses you're getting off one treadmill the the treadmill of being employed and you're going onto a completely different treadmill the treadmill of so-called being your own boss but actually instead working for lots of other people who are dictating how you spend your time how you um divide up your day what work you're doing and really you should be in control of it well those boundaries are massively important because like we used to get text messages at like you know uh i don't know 11 o'clock on a sunday night and stuff like that like you know can you do this to my website i'm like fuck off i'm busy (laughs) like i have a life and you know but they and then and then they'd get like shirty with you over it and things like that and i remember um one uh, there was one time our server our server went down, which is quite a big deal, obviously. But and normally mm. we had it in hand. It, it, it was so rare in our old agency days because we invested heavily in tech and stuff. And the, the, anyway, the server went down. Most of our clients were like, "Okay, great. Well, just let us know when it's back up and running." I just remember one one. She was a fairly sort of young. Um, her dad had bought the business for her, and so she was still in very early twenties, like running the business, very naive. And I just remember like effing and blinding down the phone at me. I mean, I swear like a trooper anyway, but she was like she used the c word at me on the phone uh, and you think as a service provider right so and i just said to her i said we're going to fix your website i've said that we're going to give you three months worth of free hosting to kind of make up for it i said if you ever speak to me again like that i said i'll just switch your website off immediately because i don't have time for that i had dad phone me up and apologize later on that day because he'd listened to the conversation and and oh god and I just think so many freelancers just don't allow, well, they allow clients to kind of just ride them so hard unnecessarily. Yeah, they do. 
Yeah, they do. And and they mustn't. And like you say, boundaries are just so, so important to that. Something else popped into my head at the start of what you were saying and it's gone, but it'll come back. <laughs> well, all of this is really relevant to like to what you started saying about burnout because um, boundaries, um, having, you know, mm. qualifying and assessing the right sorts of clients through your business first and foremost, um, yeah. making sure that you've got the tools and systems to kind of automate some of those processes as well. So you're not having mm. to do all of the heavy lifting, you know, yeah. and, and and actually, like the, one of the biggest challenges that I see is people don't, they start up in business and don't have many opportunities, clients coming through the doors. So they don't mm. need any of that stuff. It's not until mm. it gets too late and they've probably already pretty close to burnout that it, you know, it starts to become apparent that they need some of those tools in place. So what, yes. what do you say yeah. like some of the early warning signs of burnout as a freelancer? I think one of the big one of the big signs is is like I just mentioned about letting your clients dictate how you spend your day. As soon as you realize that you don't actually have control, because the, the, the main reason that many of us go freelance, I mean, particularly parents, for example, we go freelance because we want that flexibility. We want to be able to work around school hours or to build our businesses as our kids grow older. That's exactly what I did um, 21 years ago when I was juggling being a mum to a new baby and <laughs> a mum to a new business. Um, and I think when you realize that you're struggling to do that, you're snapping at people, you're constantly on your phone, you're not finding time to take time out for the self-care things that are so important for your well-being. Um, things like taking time out to exercise every single day is absolutely vital. It's getting enough sleep. If you're finding that you're having trouble sleeping, that's kind of, it's it's both a symptom and a cause, isn't it? I think if you're not getting the quality of sleep, you're not looking after yourself and eating properly. I think when you realize that your work is your biggest focus and it starts to blur the boundaries between work and home life that's when you've got problems particularly right now when so many of us are working from home even people who are who are not self-employed are having to work from home and it's really important to have some, a, a space where you can not necessarily a dedicated office space like I have here but somewhere you can kind of shut the door or you can just take your laptop off the kitchen table and shove it in a drawer it's really important to maintain those boundaries because as soon as those boundaries go, then yeah, you, you are in trouble. And in terms of like, there's something you kind of almost alluded to there. There's, there is a certain amount of isolation that can potentially happen. I mean, not just because of, of lockdown and everything mm-hmm. else, but as a freelancer, you can like, you know, I'm, again, my agency days, we used to have an office in the center of town, but quite often I'd just be sat in there on my own all day long. And it, you know, there was a bit of, you get yeah. to the end of the day and like, quick, I haven't seen anybody. So again, like, how do you, how would you deal with kind of that isolation that you get as a sort of freelancer? Yeah, that's really, really important. That's actually chapter one in the book because um, before, bearing in mind that I'd written this before COVID, so there were three coping strategies that I recommended through then. And then one of them was networking, face-to-face networking and how a lot of people will shrink away from networking. I mean, in my experience, I'm not introverted. Well, I'm an extroverted introvert, put it that way. Um, But a lot of people who are freelance who I come across say, well, I'm a real introvert. I don't like networking. But I think really everybody can get a lot out of networking if they find the group that's right for them. And it takes lots of different formats. So obviously we can still do online networking, signing up for 
things like free webinars, um, Zoom kind of mini conferences and things like that, joining the groups such as your group on Facebook. Um, There were lots and lots of freelance groups on Facebook that kind of cover different niches and also different geographical locations. Um, Joining in with Twitter chats if you do Twitter, but kind of being visible so that people can connect with you. If people don't know you're there, they can't connect and they can't support you and you will feel more isolated. Um, And the other strategy that I recommended in the book was use a co-working space if you feel that you need to be around people. For me, where I get my buzz is working at the gym. I work in the lounge bar at my gym and I was doing it before COVID and then I had what, five months where it wasn't open and I was sort of back to working at home. And I've gone back to doing it. It is, I must say, it is weird because the tables are so far spaced and you have to wear your mask to the table and all this kind of thing. But I still really thrive on being around a buzz of other people. It can be quite noisy, but as long as I know the buzz is there, I have my headphones in and I'm completely focused and I get lots done. Um, So I like to kind of feel like I'm not alone. Um, so yeah, I certainly connect, use the communities that are out there to not just to kind of support one another, but also to collaborate, to get advice. And one way I would say that this is something a lot of people don't do is they'll join a group and then they'll go, oh yeah, you know, I tried that group, but it wasn't working for me. But the reason it's not working is because they're not engaging. They think it's enough to just be there. Or they go there and they're kind of like, oh, I want to just say, you know, oh, hey, it's ad day. I don't know, like ad Wednesday or something like this. And they're putting out their stuff. They're broadcasting what they do and they're expecting it to work sort of by osmosis. But I always say if you're becoming part of a group, a mastermind or Facebook group or whatever, be prepared to give more than you take. So set yourself out there as an expert, but you're somebody who's kind of warm and and welcoming and giving and you interact with other people's posts and you look to provide value before you take value. I, I t- you know, this is one of my biggest bugbears about like the, the internet. I mean, we've both been around since like the dawn of the internet age, Sarah. And so like marketing has changed dramatically. <laughs> like, it was always about like deliver as much value as you possibly could back in the day. I'm not talking that long ago, 20 years ago, you know. And I, I've noticed that since, you know, the, the internet's made it super easy for people to get online and start a business up that, you know, that you see, all you see is like these buy my shit type offers and people look at them and go, mm. oh, that person's all they're interested in is my money. Whereas actually mm. see the people who are being really successful are the ones who are just getting out there and like helping other people abundantly with no yes, an expectation yeah. of like anything in return. Um, shift, let's shift gear slightly. So did you, um, so 21 years ago, did you have a job before you went freelancers? What's, what's yeah. the story? Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't go to uni. I fell into marketing. Long story short, I ended up going from Eagle Star, which are in Cheltenham. So it might be interesting to local people, um, kind of falling into a job in their marketing team, getting really hugely trained up on the job while I was there because this was early nineties and there were huge training budgets and it was all great and get sent to the Chartered Institute of Marketing, kind of learn what I was supposed to be doing. 
worked my way up to being a team leader. And then they made a third of the marketing department redundant. So I took voluntary redundancy, left on the Friday with a big fat payoff, and then started work for one of my suppliers on the Monday who were a magazine publisher down in Clifton in Bristol. And I worked there for three years, became pregnant and knew I didn't want to come back to work full time. And they weren't having any of, oh yeah, no, you, you, you can't possibly come back part-time because you're an account manager. You know, how are your clients supposed to understand that you're not in every day? So my, um, my boss suggested I went freelance and hadn't even occurred to me And I thought, well, at the time I was married and my then husband had a full-time job. So we decided that financially it would be okay to give it a try. And as I said back a few minutes ago, it fitted in well with being a mom, the flexibility. I just wanted to work a couple of days a week to begin with. And basically my daughter's now 21, my son's now 18, and I just grew my business as they progressed through school and worked longer and longer days. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the story. Have, in a have nutshell. you ever had any moments where you kind of doubted yourself and you kind of had to make, felt like you had to make some kind of big decisions or anything like that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I still get like, I mean, self-doubt is a really big thing for me. Even now, again, there's a chapter, chapter eight is all about imposter syndrome, fear of failure and um, six strategies to, to deal with self-doubt. And honest to God, I have to read that to myself all the time. Cause I'm kind of like, you know, stuff, you know, <laughs> you've got this, but no, I, I still find that that's one of the biggest challenges of being your own boss. It's just that thing of thinking, Oh, you know what? What? So I'm going on Radio Gloucestershire tomorrow, and then I'm kind of like I've got to talk about um, small businesses and the impact of coronavirus on small businesses. And then, kind of, when I have a wobbly moment, I'm sort of like, "Whoa, you know, who who made me a spokesperson for the small business community?" <laughs> but I'm kind of like. I've got this, you know, I'm very involved in the small business community locally, but also on social media. And yeah, I think it's it's just really important to do things like celebrating your wins, allowing yourself to fail and realizing that if you don't, if you don't try, you can't fail, which is, you know, that's, that's, that's safe territory. But if you don't fail, then you can't learn and you can't grow. So failure is vital in business and it's vital to give yourself permission to fail. And um, I've just written a blog, actually, which is sort of, again, based on the content in the book, but specifically um, based on the fear of failure, sort of Halloween themed blog ready for uh, the end of the month. And and it's just about how it's that I think it was... um, Churchill said perfectionism, perfection, perfectionism is the enemy of progress. And it's so true. You can tinker and faff and hone what you're doing till the cows come home. But if it's not out there, it can't be working for you. And you might put it out there and go, oh, okay, well, this bit's not working, but then you can refine, test and measure and learn from the feedback that you're getting. But until you put out there, whatever you're working on, you can't, um, you can't begin to grow. 
hundred percent, absolutely sage advice. Uh, we're kind of coming towards the end of the interview, actually. So um, I've got a couple of there's, there's something which I wanted to kind of um, direct people to, which um, always thoroughly amuses me, and I probably don't comment enough on it. But on your Facebook feed and on Twitter, you quite regularly find you know uh, photos of signs or um, you know very like things in the newspaper or something like that where there are typos or grammatical errors, and it, it absolutely yeah. cracks me up some of the ones which you found in the past. So. <laughs> Where did that where did that start? Was that just a bit of sort of Friday fun that you kind of put together? Or? Yeah, pretty much. I, and I have to say, for anybody who does go to my Facebook page, apologies because I, I this is another thing that I always advise people when you are self employed, don't try to be everywhere. Just pick two social media networks and do them really, really well. And my two, sorry, Facebook are Twitter and LinkedIn. So um, I haven't updated my um, my Facebook page for a while, but if you go into the archive photos, yes, there are probably hundreds of them. And it got to the stage where people would message me and go, saw this and thought of you. So they'll send me silly signs and typos. And I just think there are too many people out there. Um, I kind of tongue in cheek describe myself as a grammar grouch, but I never learned grammar at school. I was that kind of misgeneration, the early 70s, where grammar was just out of fashion and freeform writing was kind of the order of the day. So how I know what I know is beyond me, but it's just kind of there. So I think there are so many people out there who are, oh, it's disgraceful falling standards of language and this kind of thing. And I just choose to be amused by it instead of being disgusted by it on the basis that you kind of choose your own experience of life. And I think if you focus on being annoyed or wound up by something, you're just going to go through life having a pretty miserable experience. Well, I, I think so it's, it kind it's a good of, filter. Yeah. Like imagine you put you put some a post out and then and then like you know, there's one there's one where there's a funny sign, but if you've actually put a useful blog out there and maybe has a couple of typos in it and somebody picks up on it and gives you a really hard time, I'm kind of like well, that's a re- bit of a red flag if that's kind of you know the sort of person you are potentially I don't know yeah. you, you know if it's if it's it, there's a right and a wrong way to do it um you know you pull me up on my on my on you know on my book covers and things like that regularly and I'm like brilliant that's great feedback for me I'd never take that that yeah I'd never take that negatively but it's when you see people you've never met before you know we know each other but when you see people you've never yeah. met before and they're giving you a hard time over it and they're kind of being judgmental I think that's a little bit you can start to kind of mm, okay Okay, start to get a feel for somebody. I see it as an opportunity for educating people, basically, because I mean, not every, I mean, I I am absolutely shit at maths. Like that's just not my thing at all. So I don't judge people for being rubbish at language because they might be amazing at maths or science or whatever. So, you know, if I can kind of, to turn a tip, turn a mistake on its head and go, you know, this is what they should have said um, and make people laugh in the process, then yeah, win-win. Awesome. Uh, so books on Amazon, number one yes. bestseller, go and check it out. And we'll also sh- make sure we share a, a link to it in the, um, the show notes. And we'll also share a link to your website and, uh, we should probably take the Facebook one off there if you're not on there that often, but LinkedIn and Twitter, um, for sure. Um, in terms of, uh, so we've got one last question actually, just before we wrap up, Sarah. So um, hopefully this isn't, too, you can have a moment to ponder it if you want to, but we're going to hop into the fearless business time machine and like back to the future, you get to punch the, the year in that we're going to go back to in your past oh, and wow. you're going to have a word with Sarah. So T minus X number of years. <laughs> so when would that be? And what would you say to Sarah? 
Oh gosh. Okay. Well, the 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 whole premise behind survival skills for freelancers was that it was all the advice I would have given to my 29-year-old self when I started in business. So picking one thing out of that, I think I would have to say enjoy the quiet times because I don't get quiet times now. And I used to stress so much anytime I thought don't know where the next job's coming from. I, I, I don't have a booking coming up. And I would just, I, I would spend the entire time in an absolute stew, getting more and more stressed. And as soon as I realised that I actually was better off using that time, focusing on the working on your business stuff. So I now keep a list. I just don't get the quiet times, but I now have a list and I recommend other people do the same of things that you want to work on on your business. So perhaps you want to create a bank of six blog posts that you can then release over the next two months space them out and and release them over the next few months. Or you might want to work on a bunch of social media content through Canva, or you might want to master a new skill or um, set yourself up an account on a different social media channel or optimize your LinkedIn profile, whatever it is, as soon as you use those kind of quiet times for something positive, it's really weird it's like the universe knows I swear that as soon as you're productively working and you're kind of in flow working on something else and not stressing about the lack of work because I think I truly believe that if you focus on the lack you just get more lack yeah if you focus on abundance and not stressing about where the next job is coming from then the work will appear and in the meantime you're you're using that time productively Amazing. It's such a good tip. And you know, I, I, that's something which we, um, uh, all of our clients and fearless, I tell them all of the time. It's like, you don't need to be busy marketing, selling and delivering like every second of the day. And funny enough, whenever I take, you know, a morning or an afternoon out to go surfing down at the wave, you know, which I have to do on work time because I've got six and a four year old and they take up, you know, pretty much all of the rest of my time. Um, you know, something good always comes of that. Like work-wise, you know, I'll get an invitation for an interview or I'll get, I'll get a something, you know, somebody will buy my book or leave a review or I'll get a client say yes or something like that. Always those times when I'm not actually proactively working. So amazing tip. I love that. Awesome. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the Fearless Business Podcast. You'd be welcome to come back uh, maybe when book number two's out. Is there going to be book number two? Are you working on the moment? (laughs) Not right now. (laughs) (laughs) Never say never though, right? Never say never. No, I think we need a second book from you for sure. But um, uh, anyway, uh, right, we'll share all of the links in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for having me on.